The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod. I am Sai, and with me as always is my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we doing, sir? Not too bad, mate. Going back to some sort of early days shenanigans on my end. I'm uh, a little bit hungover, but I'll uh, I'll power through because I'm really, really excited to get into what we've... Uh, really excited to get into what we're covering today. Yes, I am as well. I am as well. It's going to be very interesting indeed. Um, for everyone listening at home or wherever you may well be, I've got a bit of a new setup. I've got a new microphone. First time I've ever used a proper microphone rather than a headset, believe it or not. So if the audio quality or sound is a bit wibbly wobbly and doesn't quite go according to plan, uh, bear with me. I'm just trying it out. I will see how we get on. But yes, I am really intrigued to hear your thoughts on this particular story, Dan. And we are looking at The Mind Rubber, a Patrick Triton five-parter. Uh, first broadcast in September to October 1968. And we have... Uh, Jamie and Zoe as the companions. Have you seen any of this before? Any clips, any episodes or any, because there's one particular scene that I find is used a lot on, I mentioned it before on the show, haven't I, about an old documentary about Doctor Who I watched and they were laughing at certain bad guys and certain special effects. And there's one particular scene here um, that was used in that documentary and i've seen it in another one as well and that's when zoe and jamie are on the tardis console spinning with nothing behind them <laughs> yeah yeah you've said that before I, I haven't seen any of this before so it was uh it was a real nice uh sort of i'm just comp- going into it completely blind just blank slate from my end interesting okay um first of all I bloody love Patrick Triton, and every time we watch him, I enjoy him more and more. And the same goes for this story. I loved Patrick Triton in this. Um, yeah. But it's quite a odd start, I think. It seems that... Um, we get it at the end as well, actually. We get almost like the end of the last story leads into the next story. So even though this is a, a five-part story in its own right... The end of the previous story, which I believe was the Dominators, I think, mm. it kind of leads into what they're doing next. And the end of this particular story leads into the invasion, which is what they're doing after this, which I think is quite unique because we don't get that at all anymore with New Who, do we? No, I really like that, though, because the, the whole sort of following on and, and each story flowing into the other, like you say, is something that we we just don't see now. And it was really intriguing, um, you know, opening up with Jamie, the Doctor, and Zoe in the TARDIS in danger because we're back on lava again this season. Um, seems to be a, a, an accidental running theme. Um, yeah, yeah, is you know, it, it's it made me want to go back and, and catch the rest. And then the way this ends, which we'll get to, you know, in due course, made me want to watch John. Okay, so it, it's you know, it's effective even all these years later. Yeah, it is indeed. It is indeed. Um, I did watch on, by the way, just to see what happens, because it was a little bit of a cliffhanger, even though it was the end of the story. And we go into one of those 
stories on BritBox that's animated with the audio yeah. played over the top. So it could be interesting getting into one of those for the show at some point because I've, I've watched them, but I've never really sat down and proper. They've just been on in the background or, or whilst I've been going to sleep or something. I've never really sat down and properly sort of invested my time and, and pro- you know, broke it down and had a look at it properly. So that'd be interesting for us to do, I think, at some point. Yeah, that was a second hook in for me as well to, to watch a bit of Invasion, but time, you know, <laughs> ironically, time just get, gets away from you. You've got other <laughs> things to do, haven't you? Yeah, fair um, point, fair point. Yes, so lava is at the beginning. It's uh, pouring towards the TARDIS. Um, I mean, first of all, the intro is fantastic. We've covered it on previous episodes of Doctor Who, well, the Doctor Who pod, sorry, when we're looking at Patrick Triton stories. But I love this because it's a little bit updated from the William Hartnell days, but it's still got that 60s limited budget, weirdy sci-fi vibe to it. And I love the Patrick Triton intro. I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah, I do too. I really enjoy it. And we, get, we get to see his happy little face as well. We do, yes. We do. Bless him. There's just, it's just, it's, it's, there's just something really, really endearing about Patrick Troughton's Doctor. Mm-hmm. Like completely opposite to to, to Hartnell, he's he's got that bit of warmth behind him, a bit of that, a bit of natural sort of charisma that just makes you like him. And then it's even in the stuff that starts to annoy me a little bit when he he starts sort of fretting and, and wringing his hands and stuff like yeah. that it, it it can they can go a bit overboard you know with that sort of thing and, and him struggling with the decision and whatnot but even then you want to just put your arm around and say come on mate have a think about it calm down yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um charlie popped in for literally five minutes whilst i was watching this yesterday and that was one of the moments that she came in for and she saw and it was the doctor going oh um um oh i don't know um and she found it hysterical because it was the doctor just to her. It seemed like it was just the doctor being the doctor and she thought it was great, but it was black and white. So she didn't want to hang around and watch anymore. So she buggered back off to her own bedroom, but um, <laughs> not quite ready right. for black and white dogs here. Yeah. Not quite ready. Um, the effects of the lava then, especially when we see it on the scanner, which is effectively just an old TV screen up on the wall at this point in the TARDIS. <laughs> We see the lava coming up the sides, and it's basically burying the TARDIS at this point. So it's coming up the sides, and we see it halfway up the scanner. Was it me, or did that just look like bubbles from bubble bath or shampoo or something? They were splashing up the glass. It proper did, yeah. It was the, the just popped a bit of mate, a bit too much matey in the bath and <laughs> yeah. were hoping for the best. <laughs> didn't really didn't realise a TARDIS could be outdone by a, a plastic cartoon pirate bottle of uh, <laughs> Yeah. A bit of fairy liquid or something. It it didn't look great, but you know, they've, they've got to do something. And even even the exterior shot just looked like it did it didn't look like lava. It looked really light and fluffy. Yeah. Like marshmallow. Yeah, something like that. Just <laughs> Just really daft, and but what I did like about this opening is obviously it's immediate danger, and then I think the emergency unit is a really nice little narrative tool because the doctor the, there's some fluid links of vaporizing, you know, the doctor's trying to keep something in te- within temperature, all the rest of it, and then he brings up this essentially an emergency button to press that takes you outside of reality. Yeah, so that is something I'd like to see brought back. Not with any regularity. You know, I don't want it to be every you know, every time the doctor gets in a bit of trouble, he presses the button and pops out, you know, pops out of reality, whatever. Mm. But it's a really smart thing to just say, we've written ourselves into a bit of a corner. 
if we use the emergency unit, we've got a blank slate. We can yeah. do anything. Just something some to have in the back pocket, ironically, as an emergency narrative tool. Just to do it that way, I thought it was brilliant. And then we get, we get a good line from, uh, I can't remember who said it, actually. I can't remember if it was the doctor or Jamie. Says, uh, I think it's Jamie says, reality is getting too hot anyway. Yeah. And he presses the, <laughs> presses the button and off they go. Yeah. And, and then basically then they, uh, well, I don't know if they, they land, they emerge, whatever, but they stop traveling, so to speak. All of the instruments are not registering anything because they've got nothing to register, I guess, because they are, mm. as the, as the line states, the doctor says, we are nowhere because that's, that's where they are. They're, they're outside of reality. Um, Zoe is interested in what's going on outside. She wants to go and check out what, what could possibly be happening outside. And then we start getting these visions um, or, or sort of stuff inserted into their mind potentially, but it shows up on the scanner as though that Jamie and Zoe, they're seeing home. They're seeing mm. each each relevant home. So Jamie, Scotland, Zoe, like this um, futuristic city and so on. And straight away, I'm intrigued now because we're, we're getting different visions for different people. So someone or something is at it is causing that obviously and tailor tailoring it for the particular individuals aren't they yeah it's it's and it's it's one of those things where the more you think about this the, the cleverer it is they are outside of, of known reality and the doctor sums it up really well saying if we step outside the tardis we step into a dimension about which we know nothing we should be at the mercy of the forces outside of time and space as we know it and that when you start thinking about it is scary mm. Like, really frightening because, you know, beyond, well, it's, it is literally incomprehensible. You don't know what you're going to find out there. You might not, your brain might not even be able to process it. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it, it's a thing throughout this serial dealing with sort of physical manifestations of ab- abstract concepts is just brilliant. And it yeah. really. So much of this, we're going to get into things that are a bit ropey. We're going to take the piss here and there. But the core idea of all this, to me, is so, so clever. Yeah, and me. Yeah, and just so brilliant. But while they're having these visions, we get a bit of chop and change as, you know, Jamie's longing for home, Zoe's longing for home, and, the, you know, they're sort of switching roles and telling the other one to, you know, snap out of it and whatever. We get another bit because Zoe is incredibly intelligent. Yeah, she's like um, uh, from the future and is supposed to be on par with the Doctor. Was the theory yeah. behind the, that the writing of that character? Yes. Yeah, mathematical genius. You know, sees the pattern in the maze as we come to later on. All the rest of it. She's been warned about the dangers of going outside. Mm-hmm. And she just opens the door. This door's like an absolute knob. Yeah. Again, it comes back to what we spoke about with um, it was Perry, wasn't it, in previous episodes, yeah. where yeah. they're stupid when the script requires it. Yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, they take an otherwise very intelligent character and just have a moment of fucking derp. You know, <laughs> and you could have you could have easily swapped it around and had Jamie do that because you yeah. know, no no disrespect meant to Jamie, but he's not. You know, he's not from the future and a genius, is he? Let's be honest. Yeah, it'd be it'd be more susceptible to something mm. like that. Yeah, it's it was yeah, it was a really bizarre decision. But 
I think it's maybe the 60s trappings of, you know, sort of gender roles and stuff like that, that they had okay. to have Jamie, you know, they had to have Jamie be the hero. Yeah. Okay. Even though it makes per- even though it makes perfect sense for Jamie to be the one to rush head you know headstrong outside. Yes. Yes. Indeed. But anyway. Anyway, with regards to the companions, then uh, I know we've seen Jamie before on the podcast. Have we seen Zoe before? I think so. Was she the enemy of the world? Any, okay. Any, yeah. Okay. Yeah. She might have been. I can't remember because I. Ke- I'll be honest. I kept wanting to call her Victoria. Right. Yeah. Early days until I got my head around it, and I don't know. I can't remember if Victoria's ever even been a companion. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a struggle first thing for me, um, but we, uh, you know, I got there in the end. Uh, but I, I really like both. Jamie's obviously a, cla- a classic character, and apart from the minute, apart from the moments where the writing decides to make her an idiot, I really like Zoe. Yeah, me. I'm me. Um, Wendy Padbury played zoe uh, yes. she she did the kind of uh, i suppose circuit at the time i guess she was in crossroads and uh, a bit of coronation street and stuff like that but went on to be a um an agent an acting agent and representing uh, people and so on and among her her former clients she had nicholas courtney who obviously played the brigadier uh, she yeah. had mark strickson who played turlow and she also oh. had Colin Baker, who was obviously the Doctor himself. And um, she, in some circles, is cited for discovering Matt Smith at a National Youth Theatre as well. So I, I love that little tie-ins and so on. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> Wendy's Web throughout Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy's Web, brilliant. <laughs> no, it's fantastic, though, you know, just somebody so entrenched in the series, both on screen and, and off screen. It's mm. fantastic. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, basically, basically, Zoe runs out and kind of vanishes. Jamie then runs out and kind of vanishes. And then we see them in this, I suppose, void is the best way of wording it, because there's nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just white everywhere. And these robots arrive. Mm-hmm. Now, there's two main types of robot in this, um, in this serial. There's the kind of wind-up clockwork... Uh, almost tin soldier-esque kind of vibe and there's these bloody great boxy white ones what did you think dan of we'll we'll start off with these ones because they're here first of all these weird boxy white robot thingies they did their best (laughs) they they did the best with the budget i I don't want to rag on it too much because you know it's the 60s it's it's nearly 60 year old television it's gonna look a bit shit but they they tried their best, you know. It, they're angular. They've got the they've got the the weapons in the chest that are obviously, you know, we find out are multifunctional. But they ain't scary. No. The, the scariest part of this whole thing is when uh, Zoe and Jamie find each other. Everything's you know they're just in nothingness. Um, they want to try and find the way back to the TARDIS, but they they can't. They say quite rightly they can't navigate nothing. Yeah, I, I didn't so that didn't even pop into my mind, to be honest. Yeah, really sinister, because you'd think, well, surely you'd be able to see the TARDIS, because it's mm. the only perceptible thing to them there. But then we've seen she got, Zoe and Jamie both got about three steps into the mist before you couldn't see them anymore. Mm. And if, you know, all it takes is one slight stumble or slight change in yeah. direction for whatever reason. 
then you're knackered because you can't see anything. Yeah. And and all the while the doctor's having a sit down with uh, arguing with a voice in his head. Yes. It, uh, I, now, normally, uh, you know my thoughts on these kind of things, where we have these mental battles and uh, contact with other doctors and all that sort of nonsense, right? I'm not normally a fan of this kind of th- this bullshit. This I didn't mind so much. I don't know whether it's because Triton pulled it off so well, or if it's just done slightly different in this story. But this whole mentally battling somebody, normally I'm not a fan of it, but here it, it wasn't so bad. I think it's because they actually added the voiceovers. You know, the the, the sibilant voice telling him to to give in, to submit, and you know, go or leave the TARDIS and find them. And he's, he's presented with a, a mental image mm. of Jamie and Zoe beckoning him out. And they're you know, in complete white as well at this point, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. You know, just follow, save them. You know, go through, get outside. But and the doctor's doing what the doctors and he's trying to fight as well as communicate, mm. you know, start a dialogue. And the robots are closing in on Jamie and Zoe. So that there's a fair bit of peril building already. You know, it's yes, the, but the, the, um, the robots are ropey looking, Yeah, but they've gone, you know, they're in an imperceptible dimension. Two of them are lost. We've got a disembodied voice, you know, evil voice. There's, there's a lot of good here. Those um, those robots were actually used on a different show. They were uh, part of a TV program called Out of the Unknown, okay. which ran from 1965 to 1971, uh, my notes say. Uh, provided my notes are accurate. Um, <laughs> and it was like a sci-fi stroke horror kind of thing. And each episode was effectively a standalone story. Hmm. So, like, you know, each episode, it's like an anthology kind of thing, isn't it? Where it's like different stories each week and different baddies and different goodies and all that sort of stuff. And they were used a few times in Out of the Unknown in this kind of sci-fi horror-esque kind of TV program. And then because they were already been made and they were BBC owned, somebody from Doctor Who just went, oh, we can have a go with them. And just bought them in to use, to use for this story. So it's not even like they were <laughs> designed for this particular story. So They'll be cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, that's exactly right. Yes, <laughs> it's but it's it, like I said, this 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 episode and, and serial moves along at a fair clip. Um, I found myself absolutely devouring it in no time. You know, normally I take a, a fair while to make my notes and whatnot because I insist on writing bloody war and peace. But this just seemed to fly by. You know, when the doctor finally realizes he can't, you know, he can't let them die. But then he's figuring out what's going on. He's telling them, you know, concentrate on the TARDIS. It's the only thing that's real. And because, you know, there's essentially, I suppose, perception is reality. Tells them to think of the concentrate on the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. Because that'll, like, shorten the distance or whatever. Again, pretty bloody clever just to get, you know, to get them back in there. A couple of things about this particular episode and the serial itself. I mean, first of all, these, these scenes out in the void, there is um, big rumors or, or myths, I suppose is the correct term that Jamie and Zoe actually filmed these scenes naked at one point. All right. And obviously it wasn't used for the, for the BBC and all that sort of stuff. Everyone's denied that ever happening. Um, mm. I don't know where these rumours start, but you can find stuff online, people talking about their... They they tried it as an experiment. Um, it didn't 
they decide not to use the footage, whatever. And then other people say that this never happened. It, it wasn't the case and, and so on. I, I lean more to the fact that it didn't happen because it just sounds so ridiculous. Yeah. But the this story being a five-parter, but still flying along quite quickly, I think it's probably, well, first of all, it's down to the story because I really enjoy this story and it seems to go, it seems to be very well-paced. Mm. Secondly, these episodes, even though they're, you know, it's a five-part story and they're, you know, episodes that are broadcast at a set time every week and so on, they are quite short. And episode yeah. five itself is only 18 minutes long, which actually makes it the shortest episode of Doctor Who ever made. Mm. Now, all the others are between 19 and 21 minutes. This is because, apparently, the Dominators, which was the serial beforehand, was supposed mm. to be a six-parter. Right. But they ran out of ideas or budget or whatever it may well be and shrank it down to a five-parter, which then meant they had an additional episode that they had to fill. So this story, they wrote a bit mm. extra into, which a great deal of it is in this first episode, and it extended from a four-parter to a five-parter, which is why some of these episodes are a touch shorter, including mm. episode five. And I think that lends to it moving along quite quickly because the episodes do... If you, I, I sat and did what I normally do and watched the whole lot in one hit. Mm. And it didn't feel like I'd watched five episodes, not two. No, not at all. I watched, I watched four in a row. I was only going to do two or three because it, you know, it was getting on late at night. Yeah. Looked at the clock and thought, oh, I'm sneaking another one in because I've got the time and I want to know what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, was, I was hooked in by then and then I watched the final part this morning. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but that makes total sense as to you know as to why it's a why it's a five part and why it moves along because I, I clocked the runtime of the final episode as well. Yes, um, but brilliant, you know, perfect, perfect for the show. For us, yeah, it works really well. It's funny again. It sort of goes back to that era of television, I suppose. They're borrowing props from another TV show, and one particular story had to get an episode cut from it because it wasn't written in a way that could fill six episodes. Which that means they got to fill another episode quickly with a bit of rewriting and all that sort of stuff. And we come to uh, the, the actor who plays Jamie in a little while because, you know, Jamie has a new face for a certain period of time. And the reasons behind why that happened, it, it's just such a thing of the time, I think, with regards to how these films, how these programs were filmed and put together and produced, I think, Dan. Yeah, and and how adaptable they were as well, and, and sort of uh, the ingenuity behind the production. It, it yeah. really is impressive. Um, but going back to the to the story, when the you know when the Doctor gets Zoe and Jamie into the TARDIS, we get another great cliffhanger because Jamie he, he has a little sleep. And wakes up <laughs> Which of course you would do. Well, yeah, just been through a trauma. I'm going to get my head down for a minute. <laughs> and he has a he has a nightmare about a unicorn. And the Doctor and Zoe just tell him, well, would you shut up for a second? And then there's a weird sort of vibration running through all the heads, you know, giving him a massive headache and, and humming and nobody can concentrate. We get an exterior shot of the TARDIS and it just completely breaks apart. And there's only the console. And we get that shot you mentioned before of Jamie and Zoe clinging onto the console, spinning off into God knows where, and the Doctor just flying off on his own. Mm, yeah. That, you know, nothing... Uh, I've not seen anything like that in, in classic Doctor, obviously, in the, in the episodes we've watched, and that's pretty much all I've seen. I thought it was brilliant. You know, you, yes. they can say what they want about it being a bit of a ropey shot and whatnot, but I don't think it matters with the, cause the, way, the, the way they framed it. It's literally, they're in a place that is, again, I'll say it, I'll still repeat it. 
it's a physical manifestation of, uh, of of dimensions beyond our comprehension. It doesn't need to be anything more than a black screen behind them. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah I, I really I, when, I, when I mentioned that um, when I mentioned that effect earlier on, it wasn't from a point of the, sh- the documentary or the show I watched or whatever mocking that particular one. It was mocking some of the bad guys, but this mm. was just a clip it showed as opposed to taking the mick out of it. Ah, uh, right. So I, I, I wrongly assumed. Well, no, no. I, I, I lumped it in with when they were mocking the the aliens and and so on. So it's easy for to do. I, I misled a little bit, but I think it looked fantastic. The TARDIS exploding looked amazing. And then them both clinging to the console as it spirals round. And, and the big thing as well is Zoe wearing that kind of all-in-one... Obviously, it's clothes from the future because they're sparkly and everything in the future is sparkly. And she's it's all-in-one jumpsuit glittering as she's spinning round and just the black behind them. Visually, mm. man, this was fucking brilliant. Yeah, absolutely awesome. It, it's it's been a while since we've done this, hasn't it? Because we're actually we're going through part by part and actually dissecting stuff. Yeah, <laughs> which I think which I think speaks to how good it is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the the second part begins with Jamie in a weird maze like setup, which they refer to as a forest at one point, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. I think they were meant to look like trees, but it looked more like columns of crystal. Yeah, yeah. I suppose alien like trees or whatever. We don't know, do we? Um, Again, we're out. We're outside of reality as we know it. It's fine. yeah, yeah. There we go. And he sees a red coat, mm. and he uh, I, I, this bit I'm not completely on board with. And again, I, I, I you know, hands you know, hands on the table, whatever, as clear as I can be. I love this. So any criticisms I have are minor. So bear that in mind. Mm. But this here seemed a bit silly. Because yeah. you've got the red coat who's got a gun. Jamie hides, gets his knife out, and he's watching him. And then just jumps out into plain sight and says, Oh, thought you'd sneak up on me, did ya? Or something along those lines. And then just gets fucking shot. It was just so stupid. Yeah, he'd give his old speech about being a McCrimmon and, and all of that. And he could have just stabbed him. Mm. But instead he gets shot in the face and turned into a cardboard cutout. Yeah, without a face. No. Yeah, well, I, th- I thought he did have a face originally. Oh, did he? Yeah, his face, oh, oh, no, his you're right. Falls, yeah. His face falls off later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So at this point, the, the, the big cardboard cutout has a face, right. Uh, we go to Zoe. She is surrounded by brickwork, basically. The, you know, these aren't alien trees or anything like that. This is, this is bricks. And there's a big quite grand-esque sort of castle door, I suppose you'd think of it as. Like you see in the old uh, fairy tale comp books and so on, isn't it? And she then falls down when she walks through it. And we get the sight of... That, that made me laugh. Yeah, she was just like, oh! <laughs> so it was just... First thing she's done is walk through it door and just, oh, fuck! <laughs> just face dive. It was, it was, yeah, it was unintentionally very, very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then we get the first look at the big bad, the villain. Yes, indeed. Um, and it's a fella who... Well, we don't get a proper look at him, I suppose, do we? But we hear his voice and... Of I imagine, Sorry? Our voices. Voices, yes, yes. And I kind of, from this moment, because he, he sat there, and we kind of see him from behind, and he's got monitors up, and he's watching 
each monitor is watching somebody different, like the Doctor, Zoe, Jamie, etc. And he's talking to uh, various minions of his um, who are out chasing the, these these people he's viewing, I suppose. And he comes across incredibly sinister. Mm. And I think part of that is the fact that we don't see him yet. I think that adds to it. Yeah, evil. It's a horror movie tropes again. Evil is only scary when you can't see its face. By and large, that's like a sort of unwritten rule of horror. So the fact that we can just see this guy's back and all we know is he's changing, he seems to change voices when he's giving orders as opposed to sort of monologuing and talking to himself. I think that's brilliant. And you know, yes. when he's giving it the we can't find the doctor, so he's not fully under my control. Perhaps it's better this way, you know, as if he's enjoying toying with them. And, you know, real, it lends a real malevolence to the character. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Um, the Doctor is in in this tree, tower, crystal maze thingamy, looking for Zoe and Jamie, and he keeps calling out for them and then hearing them call <laughs> back and all this sort of stuff. When he woke up, did you, he says, where in time and space am I? And I just thought that sounded like something the Doctor would say after a night on the piss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just waking up like, you know, Tom Baker's scarf across the top of his head like a bandana. Yeah, <laughs> n- nothing, nothing on his top half other than Peter Davidson's braces and the celery stuck to his nipple, and just like, oh man, my head is, oh, walloping, strief. Where am I? Desperately searching for a bottle of Lucasite. <laughs> <laughs> Trouton, just got Trouton's flute, a, a little recorder up his nose. <laughs> his his face is hot. <laughs> The doctor's face is half Whitaker, half Hartnell, where he's messed up a regeneration partway through being pissed up. <laughs> Finds a little, accidentally stands in a little puddle of sick with right by the console. Oh, but he's got socks on and it gets sicky socks oh, between his toes. Oh, that's not good, is it? Uh, the thing is, obviously, sick is like regurgitated food, is it? It's being like destroyed in your in your system and whatnot. Yeah. Would would the doctor's sick not regenerate back into proper food? Oh, it'd be a bug. You know when you're sick in your mouth and it comes up a bit and then it comes back down? Imagine doing that and it starts regenerating on the way up and you're just getting like big lumps of like chicken or whatever. Just coming st- it's, It would be chicken or, or, yeah, like a kebab or something. I bet the doctor likes a kebab. To be fair, the kebab would come out the same regardless whether it regenerates or not. Yeah, regenerating kebabs, eh? Who thought we'd get onto that today? Oh, I'd love a kebab right now. Yeah, and me. I'm me. a kebab. <laughs> what kind of kebab are you going to get? I like a chicken one, man. Oh, chicken, like chicken, chicken, yeah. yeah. Loads and loads with everything in it. Jalapenos, the whole shebang, you know. Oh yeah, you you want your farts to hurt? Yeah. Problem is, I stink for days afterwards. <laughs> um, I'm just, I don't just mean my farts. I mean literally me. I can smell it on. No matter how much I shower or whatever, I, I can smell it on me for days. Just <laughs> coming seep, seeping out of my pores, you know. <laughs> just just sweating, Donna. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, what, what we're we talking, talking about? Doctor like? <laughs> um, Who, I think, are getting anyway. shit um, Yeah, yeah. Th- this was one of those little bits that, uh, even though this this serial is very well paced, this is one of the few bits where the, where we've just got the Doctor running around and shouting for just to kill yeah. thirty seconds. Um, it goes on long enough to for me to say, okay, we get the point. But then it moves on, so it's, it's it's not too bad, really. I did like the Doctor getting angry 
yeah. because they were calling <laughs> they were calling for him at the same time. They're both and you would you wouldn't give it. I mean, I don't care if you're Zoe or Jamie. You wouldn't give a rat's ass about the other one at this point. You can't see what's going on. You're calling the doctor. Yeah, uh, the doctor's in the middle, and he's just going, "No, stop! Not both at the same time." <laughs> he, has his, he has his little trout. He has his little trout and tanty, doesn't he? Just having a little. Yeah. With you. Yeah, I think he actually stomps his foot at one point. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Jamie, you seem to be closer. I'll come to you first, is what he says, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then he encounters a character who absolutely annoys the tits off me. Yeah. Okay. How come? Uh, well, he annoys the tits off me until we find out why he speaks like that. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, because we don't actually get introduced to this character's name until later on. Um all he says is he thinks the doctor's a highwayman. He speaks a few different languages, including Latin. Uh, Latin, and um, in one of them, it said he was speaking Brongdenigdian or something like that. Which uh, I looked it up, and it is actually just a uh, a word that means very big. Oh, <laughs> I speak very big. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it turns out he's English, and he's from 1699. Lost his companions. He was brought. He doesn't know we got there either. Um, so he puts the gun away, but. He constantly uses about 25 words where three are do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it starts out interesting, gets annoying, and then you find out why and you just go, oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense and I'll, I'll get over myself now. <laughs> the thing is, at this point, we've seen these robots, haven't we? Yeah. And we've seen this guy sat somewhere and it comes apparent that the, the way that the, the big baddie is talking to these monitors and you know, uh, communicating with some of his minions somewhere that he is in charge and he's making these things happen out where the doctor Zoe and Jamie are. And then we see this dude here from 1699 turn up. I'm intrigued now. I'm thinking what the hell is going on? Because these characters are popping up left, right and center. None of it makes sense, but it's not a, none of it makes sense. I'm lost. Fuck this shit. I don't want to watch anymore. It's none of this makes sense. I can't wait to find out what's going on. Yeah. It, it, I've said it multiple times throughout the series that we've been doing. It takes you along for the ride rather than leaving you behind. You want to find out what's going on. You want to find who's yes. who. You want, to, you, want, you, want to, you desperately want this to make sense. It's not mm-hmm. like, it's not like the, uh, the one we looked at last week where there was just so much going on. It was almost too much to get your head around. Yeah. This is there's there's a fair bit going on, but it's so well paced and and, and interesting that you, that you like I say you're along for the ride. But did you recognise this actor who plays old sixteen ninety nine? I I feel like I should know him from somewhere. Somewhere you really like, should. Is it from Doctor Who? Yes. So the guy's uh, the actor's name is Richard Horsfall. Uh, he was in, I think it was 15 episodes of Doctor Who, okay, uh, including these. And we have now watched every single episode that he's been involved in because Why? he was a Time Lord at the end of War Games. Okay. He was Taron in Planet of the Daleks. I don't remember that. And he goes on to be Chancellor Goth in Deadly Assassin. Right, okay, I remember at the end of War Games, I can picture him now, because they had those silly little sort of almost swimming cap things on, didn't they? Yeah. And there was a couple of them stood there. I could picture him. I can't remember him in the other ones, though. Chancellor Goth was a main, was a main player in Deadly Assassin. Yeah, but how long ago did we watch that, mate? Like three weeks. 
Yeah, there you go then. No, one to be more. It, was like, it, was, it was like it was last season. Oh, okay. We watched it more recently than War Games. Uh, okay. I've watched War Games a lot, though. I've watched War Games several times. I really oh, like War Games. Dues. Yeah, fair dues. It's good. Um, but yeah, even, it's, though, again, even though War Games is your go-to whenever I suggest doing something that's got quite a few episodes in, and you're just like, why? We've done War Games. It's so many episodes. What's wrong with you? <laughs> It's because you want to do 12 parters and we're not covering those in two hours. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> you fucking gimp. <laughs> <laughs> Unnecessary, but accurate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw the mask you brought to Sheffield. Yeah. <laughs> 16.99 fella is not permitted to help the doctor by order of the master, he says. So that's intriguing straight away. And then he vanishes. He just buggers off. He's gone. And then another yeah, kid's turn. The doctor just dismisses it as a hallucination, like hallucination. Oh, well. Yeah, like, I get them no. all the time. <laughs> ah, the mushrooms are working, I see. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah these kids were, were odd. Um, mm. Why did the chicken cross the road? Asking that, and is, is the the yolk of an egg is white, white, or the yolk of an egg are white, which is correct, and neither is yellow. Yeah. Asking questions like, how many beans make five? You know, where, where was Moses when the lights went out? But one thing I did like was when they say, Adam and Eve and Pinchby went to swim. Adam and Eve got drowned. Who was saved? And the doctor goes, well, pinch me. So they obviously all start pinching him. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I like that. And it, it's kind of, well, it leads into um, more of this kind of uh, riddles. And because uh, when the kids vanish, for example, we get the the stuff with the safe and the wishing well and all that, don't we? Mm. And it's it's all clues and riddles and so on. And I quite like that. It's it's you know it reminds me of being a kid and watching the old Batman. Mm. Yes, believe it or not, I have seen something with Batman in it. I know, I know, it's a shock, but um, with the oh, what was his name? West was it? What was his first Adam name? Adam West. Adam West. There you go. I used to watch that uh, whatever time it was in the in the morning. I think it was on on BBC Two or Channel Four, or some some channel like that. And it reminds me of the Riddler character. Yeah, and I yeah, used to love so. as a kid trying to figure it out before Batman could figure it out. Always feel superior. Yeah, yeah, and I don't bear in tights. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I so don't. <laughs> uh, like somebody poured cottage cheese into a sock. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Smells the same as well. Um, <laughs> the kids ask, you know, what can you make of a sword? And the doctor automatically has a sword in his hand. And they, they say, what can you make of a sword? And they run through the letters and all this. And the doctor twigs. Well, it's you know an anagram, I suppose, isn't it? And it's words. And the sword turns into a dictionary. That's when the kids vanish. And obviously somebody is setting tasks and so on, trying to get the doctor to answer these riddles to, I suppose, move forward and find his companions at this point. Yeah. And we're presented, we find that it's, it's a locked safe and a wishing well. And then we see things flash up and it's... Uh, it's missed with M, you know, with M and T crossed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, hand without, with the H, you know, with a line through the H, and he realizes that he's in a living sort of pictographic puzzle. Yes, because he's got Jamie Standee there as well, and he realized that Jamie, he's got Jamie there, missed without the M and T's is is hand without the H is and, and sort of puts together the safe and the well as Jamie is safe and well. Which is just really clever, I thought. Yeah, it is. It's very clever. Real roundabout way of doing it, but it is very clever. Yeah, um, and then Jimmy's face disappears. So I wasn't yeah. just talking. I wasn't just talking no, you, bollocks you before. Spot, yeah. 
respond. And this this tickles me. I love the story behind this because effectively the doctor has to rebuild Jamie's face, <laughs> which he is gets just it's so wrong. Yeah, he has to rebuild Jamie's face, and it, we get like um. Uh, a, a strip with eyes on it, a strip of a nose, and a strip of a mouth, and there's multiple options. And the doctor tries to rebuild Jamie's face by sticking it on the the blank faced big cardboard cutout, and then that Jamie comes back to life because the doctor's got it wrong. His face is all wrong, and it's a different actor. And this yes. is because um, Fraser Hines, who plays Jamie, had chickenpox, so they had to come up oh, right. with they had to come up with a way he couldn't film episode two. And it was only that episode he was ill for. He couldn't make it for that one with his chicken box. So they had to find a way of writing him out of episode two and then back in again in episode three to carry on production. Again, brilliant. You know, ingenuity. Just adapting to situations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the guy who plays, shall we call him fake Jamie for now? I think that's... Yeah, why not? Um, his name was Hamish Wilson. Uh, he sadly died a couple of years ago. One of the one of the people who, who sadly got caught by the uh, coronavirus pandemic, um, and it was kind of his only acting role. He did a few other things on stage, but television wise, he didn't really do much. He was in Monica the Glen for a bit, um, but that's kind of it. He did a lot of radio work and so on. But yeah, uh, old Hamish Wilson as fake Jamie. This is the biggest thing he ever really did, and he did it very well. To be fair, uh, mm-hmm. I thought he played a good Jamie. Um, and this is all this is all quite funny now, isn't it? Really, because apart from the sinister chuckling when you know Jamie comes to life again, um, he freaks out over his new face. Um, the doctor's conveniently got a mirror in his pocket, but he's you know he recounts the story of the unicorn and the TARDIS breaking up, etc. And then they hear Zoe shouting, and she's trapped. Uh, yes. They find the door. They find the door that they went through, and it's just a it's a brick wall with the door painted on it. And then they realise that it's another living riddle. When is a door not a door? Mm-hmm. And it's a jar. And yeah. then this was just funny. They're having a laugh because Zoe's trapped in a giant mason jar. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Do you reckon so they were laughing at her? Do you reckon they were laughing at her because she literally couldn't fight her way through paper? I don't know. <laughs> Please as well. She is really tiny, isn't she? Yeah, the lady who plays Zoe. She's a tiny yeah. little dot. So you could literally just drop her in a jar like that, and she legit couldn't get out. <laughs> she could reach the top of it though, and it was it was only paper. I think it wouldn't have been much of a jump to like oh, yeah, catch on to the end. Mind <laughs> you, I, I say that I say that like I could like climb out of a jar, you know. If my life depended on me doing a pull-up, I'd you know, you'd have to just kill me on the spot. Um <laughs> You know, it, I suppose I can't criticise that, but she—it was just quite funny. She could just like she could have just like punched her way through the top of it. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're true. It's true. But I mean, the, the, the doctor and Jamie get her out. Um, Jamie decides he's going to shimmy up one of these trees and gets up to the top and realizes it's a letter S. Looks around and it's all letters. And he starts reading some of these, and it's slow but sure, in for a penny, in for a pound, etc. And it's sayings. They're all in mm. almost like a, a 3D page of a book, I suppose. It, it's all lettering and wording and sayings, isn't it? Yeah, they call it a forest of words, which, again, is a really clever idea, especially with the, the sort of concept that they're building towards, which is that they're in a land of fiction. Mm-hmm. So, again, they're dealing with fictional characters 
coming to you know coming to life um and you know perception being reality effectively that is literally what it is you know the, the fictional you know fiction is is only real as long as you acknowledge it as such and when we see that towards the end here because you get old 1699 come back um and there, there have been robots sort of pursuing through the whole thing and they say don't give them away but he can't see them no and again that's just another uh, another fun little sort of wrinkle to the proceedings and the ro- the robots are giant toy soldiers yeah and they're um, a bit they're a bit wonky aren't they? they don't move very well they're a bit clunky i suppose and but still sort of dead-eyed and a bit creepy oh yeah yeah but i look um, at it and i think to myself i could get away from one of them i'd fancy my chances against one of them yeah, they're not exactly running after you either. Mm. It's, uh, it's, yeah, not, they're not intimidating as such. No, no. Because effectively they just, they do just get away from them, pretty much. But then we hear the sound of galloping and it turns out Jamie's dream was foreshadowing because they've only gone and got a fucking unicorn. Oh, man. And that's the end of the second part, isn't it? Where the unicorn is... I can't believe I'm saying this sentence out loud. Part two ends because they're being attacked by a unicorn. Yep, unicorns charging them and the doctor's forcing them to stand still. Mm. Um, which, the, unicorns have come up in far too much, much that I've watched recently. I watched Shazam 2 Fury of the Gods and it was fucking shit. Um, but they had uh, they saved the they saved the world with skittles and unicorns in that. But because in the... I think it was like in some sort of mythological version of the unicorn... Uh, that they were actually the king of beasts and all of the monsters were afraid of them because they were bloodthirsty, ravenous, murderous, bloody horny horses. Well, that horny horses. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a turn out for the books, isn't it? Don't, don't Google ravenous horny horses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Part three begins with the Doctor telling Zoe and Jamie that unicorns don't exist. We've got to tell the unicorn it doesn't exist, and that causes the unicorn to, to basically freeze in a similar manner to the way Jamie froze when they, you know, made his face all wonky. Yeah, it becomes a it becomes a cardboard cutout because they refuse to acknowledge that it's real. Mm-hmm. So they obviously have some sort of power over what's going on in this realm and then the, and the tests thrown at them. And that's when we get, we cut back to this, this master, so to speak. Um, after the doctor says, you know, it takes a, it, um, you know, it takes a, a fantastic mind to think this up and this villains, there saying, Oh, too kind. And then he, he starts complimenting the doctor's intelligence, intelligence and saying he's, you know, learning the rules with admir- admirable speed. Mm. So again, just another little bit of, of malevolence. Yeah. Before before then the wonky robot soldiers are back. Yeah, but the master tells them to let them go, doesn't he? And then says the trap is set. Ooh. And oh, and then the next occasion we see our uh, traveling trio, they're they're fighting their way through initially I couldn't make out what it was because it looks like plants, but it also looks like cobwebs as well. Yeah, I was leaning towards cobwebs. Yeah. And the doctor uh, is separating them with his hands quite easily moving them out of the way and i mean on one occasion he, he shoves a clump to one side and it swings back and hits zoe smack in the face which really tickled me <laughs> yeah. but 
Zoe is quite easily manoeuvring through them as well and getting them out of the way and all, and all this sort of stuff. For some reason, Jamie's got his knife out and he's he's adamant that he's cutting the shit out of these spider webs. He's proper going for it, isn't he? Yeah, and why not? You know, he's got a knife in May as well. He he failed in stabbing the red coat once, and he's going to fail at stabbing him again. Um, so <laughs> he may as well try and make himself useful. Yeah, and it is literally after this he's shot again, isn't it? Yeah, by the same red coat as before, and he's 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 cardboard again, and mm. we've got to go through the whole face thing again to get Fraser Hines back in. I enjoyed this though because Zoe was there. Yeah, and, and Zoe was, was Zoe was saying to the doctor like, "You made a proper." You know, you, you you shit this up last time, mate. Yeah, you you <laughs> right up, and she's she's having to like she's having to shake his head because the doctor just he was going to get it wrong again. Mm. Um, it was it was quite amusing. Yeah, I, I like this. And again, the I suppose it's testament to the individual actors themselves as well because I really like Zoe as a companion. Mm. I like Jamie as a companion. I mean, Jamie was obviously very, very popular before New Who came around and Doctor Who magazine used to run its polls and competitions and all this sort of stuff. Um, Jamie would regularly come in second as the most popular companion behind Sarah Jane Smith mm-hmm. in Doctor Who magazine back in the 80s and all this sort of stuff. But And I love Patrick Trighton as the Doctor. But it could all fall apart if the chemistry between the three of them didn't work. Mm. And I think individually they're fantastic, but as a trio, I think it really works well. Yeah, it's a good collective, really good collective. Um, it, yeah, certain things just click, don't they? That's, yeah, that's the best way to put it. It's that intangible sort of quality between the the three actors where you can either tell that they're really enjoying working with each other, or they're all really good at pretending they're enjoying working with each other. Right. Yep. Apparently they were, were all very very close, uh, all three of them, and um, they were really really good friends and so on. They used to play practical jokes on each other on set all the time, and all this I, bet, I, bet, I bet Troughton was a bugger for a whoopee cushion. Well, he, he liked to drink as well, didn't he, Troughton? Did he? Yeah, apparently, yeah. He, he, you know, he used to be quite a big drinker, and this caused a caused health issues in his life, and, and he, a big drinker, a big smoker, and so on. As a lot of people back in that time were, some some of the. Um, perils of living that way perhaps weren't as well known as they are now potentially but a lot of people back that you know a lot of actors you will see them with cigarettes in their hand anyway but yeah Triton liked to drink and liked to smoke and so on um, I imagine after a few I don't know whiskeys or gins I can see he got that little devilish look in his eye I imagine his mm-hmm. pa- his practical jokes went a bit further than everyone else's I like to think anyway yeah I don't think I don't think he'd go the full wrestler shitting in somebody's bag kind of thing but uh, I, be, I bet he I bet he had some good ones itching powder on Jamie's kilt that sort of shit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ooh, I've got DP on me sporran <laughs> <laughs> oh man um, the doctor paced, places Jamie's face back together again correctly on this occasion. So fake Jamie goes away now. Old Hamish Wilson, or whatever his name was, disappears. We get Fraser Hines back. He's he's recovered from, uh, well, it's funny we mentioned itching powder. He's, he, he had uh, chicken pox, so he did an itching quite a bit anyway. But uh, <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have real Jamie back, which is nice. And then we see a house. And our trio enter the house and tie a bit of string to the door to effectively give themselves a route back out if they need it i suppose isn't it yeah because it's an entrance to a maze effectively they can't get back out so they've got to go in and you know that this this master character is is watching them zoe's very quickly recognizes a pattern in the maze 
and the doctor commends her arithmetical arithmetical mind or something like that. Um, I really struggled with that one. Um, It's a difficult word, mate, to be fair. Yeah, I I don't normally do that badly, though. Um, So, you know, Zoe's... I don't want to say proving her worth, but she's, you know, she's she's showing that she's got a level of intelligence or, or a, a knowledge that the Doctor and Jamie don't have, mm-hmm. yeah. which, are, which is always really good. Uh, and it turns out it's all just a big setup for another trap, as we've said before, and it's uh, we're delving into a bit of Greek mythology with the Minotaur. Yeah, and we see a shadow. Of the, well, they, they've separated here, haven't they? Because the string runs out. So Zoe and the Doctor go ahead. Jamie stays where he is to, I suppose, help guide them back if necessary. Yeah. And we see the shadow of the Minotaur. Um, one of the soldiers is stomping around after Jamie, again, the, t- the tin soldiers. Jamie mm. realises they can see through the light on the top of their head. So he effectively blinds the soldier with a blanket over his head. Yep. Which, Which, fair enough. Yeah, it does the job. Um, the Minotaur then appears and shows itself properly. And we go through the whole, you don't exist and this isn't real and it disappears again. But Jamie's gone now. Mm. It was it was sort of with the Minotaur, it was uh, thought the, um, the skull and bones of the whole human sacrifice aspect was yes. a nice little touch. That yeah. they, did, they didn't necessarily have to do, but it just adds to the peril of the thing as well. Um, oh, sorry, you know, so I should have mentioned previously as well, you said about something they didn't have to do. The TARDIS was white earlier on. Did you notice that? Yes, yeah, the exterior of it when they're but in they the... But they never um, mentioned it. But it was a great visual. Oh, yeah, fantastic. I loved it. Same, I, I, don't get me wrong. The TARDIS is iconic, the blue and all that, of course. But whenever you see it slightly different, just for a moment, it's cool. Same as when it was pink in... What would that be? Paradise Towers when it was pink, I think? Um, uh, I don't know. I haven't have seen, seen that. Have you watched Paradise Towers yet? No. No, okay, okay, we'll have to go back and watch that. That's that's very interesting. But here, it's white because it's in the void. Same as Jamie and um, Zoe's clothes went white. Yeah. But then it goes back to being blue again, and it's never mentioned. Nobody says a fucking thing about it. They were a bit distracted. Well, there is, yeah, true, but I thought it looked really <laughs> cool. I thought it looked great. It did, yeah, it was fantastic. It, it, it fit the scenario. Old man, I'm all for stuff like that. Like I said, they didn't have to do it. But I'm glad they did. Yeah. Um, I wasn't happy to see uh, 1699 come back. I thought you wouldn't be. <laughs> but we find yeah. out his name here, don't we? Yeah, well, I've, I've got to say, right, literally, my notes go, the way he talks using 15 words where three would do annoys the fuck out of me, but I feel like it's building to something. So at least then, it, even though it annoyed me, I still felt like it had a point. And then we realise, because he, he waffles on about his, um, you know, his history as he's, you know, as the doctor's asking for an audience. He's from Nottingham and he went to wherever and did this and then the doctor knows it word for word and it turns out he's Le- uh, Lemuel Gulliver from Gulliver's Travels. Yeah, so, like Gullible's Travel. Gullib- Gullible's Travels. Gullible's Travels, yeah. Cy si- goes on holiday, Gullible's Travels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll go on holiday in a couple of weeks, man. I'll video it and that, that'll be it. Um <laughs> Gulliver's Travels. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that he is the dude who turns up at the place where everyone's really small? Yes. Okay. And is there another story where he turns up somewhere and he's really small and everyone else is big? Yes. Right. Okay. I know who this guy is then. Right. 
Yeah, it's it, it, it's been done in movie form and, and bits and pieces. Mm. It's oh, Jack Black. Uh, not the version I've seen, but yes, there was a. I think there was a modern version with Jack Black. Yeah, I've not seen um, it. Might as well with the adverts. Yeah, um, and basically, with the, the realised that he can Gulliver can only speak in the words written by Dean Smith. Mm. So whatever scenario he's in, he's repeating back passages of the book, which instantly makes me go right, fine, get it. Yeah, not bothered by it. Works, it yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and I thought, again, really clever, and then this is them sort of deducing that they're in a world of fiction. Mm-hmm. Which, again, really bloody clever. Yeah. Um, dealing with ab- abstract sort of concepts and whatnot. And while they're having a chat, you know, about unicorns and minotaurs and how to find Jamie, he's getting attacked, and he decides, <laughs> he just climbs away. Well, it makes sense, because he's getting, he's getting attacked or followed by one of those tin soldier-type efforts. Mm. and he sees this rock face out of nowhere, I guess, starts climbing. In my head, I'm thinking, yeah, Jamie, that's a great shape, because these things can barely walk. Surely they can't climb. Yeah, you know? pretty much, yeah. It, but it, it does, it follows him up. Not, not really. Sort of it's, a little bit. I'm looking start, at, it, it gets to a point to. where I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, you will not get up there. So it must have gone up a little bit. Maybe the first rock or something like that, but right. he doesn't get very far. And Jamie's, you know, climbing. He, he can he can just about see the top, but he thinks he's stuck. And then somebody chucks a rope down. Yes, indeed. except it except it's not a rope. Mm. Jamie climbs up to a castle, and we've got Rapunzel. Because why not? Yeah, and there's two things that spring to my mind here. Okay, mm. first of all, Rapunzel, bit of a looker. <laughs> she's she's a lovely looking lass she is isn't she let's be honest here and yeah. secondly her hair is crazy long obviously that's the whole point of the story and we see it again later on in, in this in this story of doctor who mm. i bet that's gross because i've got quite <laughs> long hair and it can be difficult to keep clean and maintain just the length i've got it hers is like you know four miles long or whatever and it's all matted at the one end in like it's virtually a dreadlock at one point when they're climbing it i bet that stinks man yeah, but if it's saving your life from a murderous robot, then you're not really going to be bothered, are you? No. no. Plus, I believe, isn't Rapunzel's hair supposed to be magical as well? I don't know, is um, it? I, I can't remember. I don't know if it's actually in the story or if it's just in the Disney version. Um, but it, it might just it might stay clean because magic. Hmm. Also, also, it's all fiction. So unless it's written specifically that her hair stinks... <laughs> it's probably, probably going to be fine. I can't imagine that'd be something they would add in to this, or even Rapunzel itself. Yeah, uh, you know, it'd be like it'd be like fucking Tarzan, and just mention that you can smell his balls and his arsehole from a mile away because he's never because <laughs> he's never had a wash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, you know, the prince climbed the rope and climbed the scaled up and saw Rapunzel and straight away thought, yeah, she's a bit of a looker, she's a bit of a sort, and then caught a waft of her dreadlocked matted hair and fell back to earth, stunned by the odor of her ponytail. <laughs> Stunned by the owner of a ponytail. <laughs> and I'm terrified that the carpet matched the curtains. <laughs> oh, dude. Like that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Jamie matted, goes... Matt, matted pubic hair aside. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was thinking to myself, we've got an hour, and I don't think there's anything I've got to collect yet. <laughs> <laughs> And then we got to Rapunzel's pubes. 
Oh, dear me. Let me make a quick little note of that. One hour in Rapunzel's pubes. Repubes. Uh, repubes. There we go. Okay, I know I know to go back and sort that out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, making a note to go and sort out a fictional character's pubic hair. <laughs> it's basically what I've got in front of me now, yeah. It's either, it's, it's either an editing note or a, a note for a dirty drawing later. Yeah, it is literally. I, I look. I thought hour. We're an hour in, and I look down at my little my little notepad thing I got in front of me, and it just says Doctor Who Pod Mind Robber, and it's blank because th- I've got no timestamps <laughs> where I need to cut out any ed- any bits and bobs, and now I've got that. So you're welcome. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, Jamie goes through the window, but it's not a castle. It's full of gadgets and machinery and things beeping and whirring and clicking and stuff. It's the wee and wee beep boop room. It's the wee woo beep boop room. There we go. And there's a machine effectively typing out what's happening, I guess. Yeah. yeah recounting the, uh, recounting the events that are unfolding as, as if it were a story. It's like mm. an old, an old style ticker machine. Yes. Yes. There you go. Um, and here's where we get another, character popping up from fiction uh medusa arrives yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I thought, yeah, considering the bbc don't have any money and doctor who is constantly fighting you know budget restraints and so on i didn't think this looked too bad yeah because they, they, well they used sort of claymation didn't they yeah where you know, stop motion animation which i don't know how cheap that is you know especially no, at this point I know it had been around for a while, but I thought they did a good job. And it was kind of interesting that they flipped the concept on its head in that something that they're looking at that they know isn't alive, a statue, mm-hmm. is coming to life. And then they have to get their heads around the fact that it's not real. Yeah. Um, this problem is this is another one where they've kind of got Zoe being a bit of a dumbass. Well, yeah, because she's she's aware of how this works by now, because she's seen yeah you know, things that she's uh, yeah like the unicorn and so on. But this one, for some reason, she struggles to get her head around. I mean, don't get me wrong, she's a scary lass, isn't she, Medusa? And those snakes yeah. are all going crazy and hissing and you know waving about the place and whatnot. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I can kind of guess that fear is overriding the situation. You know, especially as we go into part four and Medusa's got her, her fingertips on on uh, on Zoe's face. Mm-hmm. That'd be terrifying, you know. Yeah. But when surely logic has to take over, and the fact that all you have to do is just say it's not real, and you yeah. know, and actually just get your to go. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real, and it's a statue again. Yeah. You know, again, it was just a bit of dumbing down of Zoe because the script needed it. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Um... Jamie's still reading away at this point as we go into part four and the doctor has a sword all of a sudden and then a mirror and that helps him get away. Yeah. Cause he uses the mirror like, um, oh, I can't remember who was in the, who the hero was in that story. Was it Theseus? Um, I thought Perseus. it was Jason oh, no, the Argonauts. No, it was Perseus in the, uh, in, in actual Greek mythology. Um, um, I, I'm thinking back to the film. Yeah. It's, it's not that. No, <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounded so tired and defeated you can't even bother to mock me you're just like no sigh 
I'm hungover, all right? And we've just had a just fifteen just... and we've just had a fifteen minute conversation about fictional characters fucking hairy genitals. <laughs> Very true, very true. So now I've got to decide whether I cut that out as well. Obviously, the old fucking thing in, I suppose. I was like, it won't make sense. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, um, Medusa was in Jason and the Argonauts. Medusa was in Jason and the Argonauts, wasn't she? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I've never seen it. Have you not? I've seen bits of it. Oh, man. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's one of those films that I imagine if I watch back now, it probably is absolute shit. But when I was a kid, it was like, whoa, this is so cool. Yeah, it's with the stop motion skeletons, isn't it? And yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, probably. Always oh. reminds me of Golden Axe. Those skeletons. Oh, what a game! What a game that was. Yeah, I used to love Golden Axe. I want my Mega Drive back. Yeah, I might go to see anyway. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're getting off topic again. We are. Uh, because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the ticker tape's cancelling the novelisation and saying that the doctors failed the test. Um, Jamie tries to explore, explore the facility but sets off at a, a, basically a trip alarm like a laser alarm and we get old Gulliver back yeah he's uh, pottering about again isn't he mm. and then so, some more of these white boxy robots borrowed from the other show go by from this point onwards I've started calling them the lumpy robots the lumpy robots yeah that works for me we'll go with that uh, the lumpy robots go by Gulliver can't see them again um, the Doctor and Zoe then see a big complex like a city or something don't they yeah that was meant to be zoe's home i think right yeah but it was like it was a mirage mm. um but then they see the castle and they're under gunfire and it's a uh, a superhero from a from a comic in the year 2000 all that way uh, in the future Carcass. Yeah. Carcass yeah. was his name and zoe fights him and this superhero is like this massive dude with fake muscles on, almost like um, uh, El Gigante, or what was his name in WWF? Giant Gonzalez. Giant Gonzalez. Yeah. He had almost like a shit muscle suit on. And he's, he basically, Zoe kicks his ass. She's tossing him all over the place, isn't she? Yeah, Antonio Cax is hell of a bumper as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah she, Zoe's using her like, martial arts throws and using her speed against him, and she does bloody well, considering he's supposed to have superhuman strength. She chokes him out. But... Here's one for you. The Doctor is a dumbass. Okay. And it's the same way they made Zoe a dumbass earlier on. The Doctor says he can't call Carcass fake because he's never heard of him. Right. No, Carcass is the Doctor's own sort of... Oh, what's the word? Because the Doctor knows he hasn't seen everything in the universe, he said, well, he might be real. Who am I to tell him he's not? You know, who might tell him he's fiction? Yeah, so whilst just, poor little Zoe's having to, you know, judo fight this muscle-bound dude, the Doctor is just like, hmm, I don't know, sort of contemplating what's going on. He, you know, I get your point. I totally yeah. get your point. It's it, Just trust Zoe. Yeah. Because he even says that the carcass's weapon can't exist, an anti-molecular ray disintegrator, because it, it's scientifically impossible. So he knows that can't exist. Says the dude who can change his face and travels in a blue box through space and time. Give your head a wobble, Doc. Come on, man. Well, there you go. You know, <laughs> I, did, I did like it. I did like it amidst all the the sort of the martial arts throws and stuff like that. So he did at one point just kick the carcass right in the ass. Yeah, that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. But yeah, she grabs she grabs a sleeper, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um, although I do I, I do wonder if this this scene would have been made better by having John Pertwee's doctor in there as well. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. They'd have, they'd have been double teaming him, wouldn't they? Like, checking out 3Ds and all sorts. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to beat the carcass with the doomsday device, so he comes off. So he comes off the rocks with a giant clothesline. Oh no! I'd imagine Pertwee to be the uh, Pertwee's Hawk, blatantly. So, so, so little Zoe's got this giant yeah. on, it, on her shoulders. <laughs> tries, totally. to, try, tries to flip him over and just breaks his neck. <laughs> oh, oh god! Poor carcass, getting his ass kicked by. Time Lord in face paint. Um, <laughs> the Warriors. Uh, uh, Carcass now serves Zoe, it seems, because she defeated him, which obviously that's how life works on, on all levels. And um, he is taking them to this city. Apparently. Yeah, it's, um, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a, a, a cop-out writing-wise, because the next time we see him, they're, just, they're at the door. Yeah. But yeah, that was easy enough, fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we and also, where... there's yeah. fuck all in this. It's literally called The Void. There's fuck yeah. all going on around there. The, the odd castle pops up here and there, or whatever. There's the odd bit of maze, you know, in your way. But in general, it's The Void. It's just open space. Do they really need a guide to get them to the big fucking city they can see? Well, you don't know what they had to fight through to get there. We might have been deprived some prime like carcass superhero fighting action because they didn't have the budget for it yeah fair point. I, I wish we had a bit more of that because i'm not convinced about carcass as a superhero <laughs> what we'd have had is carcass and zoe doing all the fighting and the doctor getting like knocked on his ass occasionally yeah yeah and then getting out um his little recorder and playing like eye of the tiger or something as zoe's kicking somebody's ass now that would be brilliant even though eye of the tiger wasn't released for another probably 20 years at least yeah um, time travel man <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, Just, yeah. Uh, yeah why not it'd have been real brilliant drop an army of luchadors in the way or something like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it'd be brilliant um but yeah just you know the jamie's been trying to get out um because he's trapped in that room. Mm-hmm. The Doctor and Zoe arrives. <laughs> Jamie warns them of the alarm trip. And I think the Doctor just lifts Zoe up and just chucks her over the beam. Yeah. <laughs> just like, what the... F-? Before she can doesn't realise, yeah. And then doesn't hop himself to get over it. It's brilliant. Yeah, it, it, was, it was very funny. Um, you know, the Doctor's basically wanting to find whoever this master is. Um, figure you know the figure stuff out about the ticker tape, and it, it's all sort of coming together. And yes, and, you know, fall, if they fall into traps, then they become fiction, and they'll never leave. And then we get Zoe being a dumbass again because she runs through the alarm that she was lifted over about ninety seconds before. Fuck's sake, Zoe! And it's it's nothing on nothing on the actors. It's just the fucking script. Yep, and the direction. Yep. Uh, you know, again, Silly. it could have been Jamie. Yeah, even though he's he could have been all gung ho and you know, he's all gung ho keen for a fight or whatever, you know. Even though he's already set it off once, it it could have been Jamie, or the doctor could have triggered it intentionally to get caught and brought to the brought to the person in charge. Oh, I like that. That's good. If the doctor just you know wiggled his wiggled his foot in it or something and said, "Right, here we are. Come and get us, and we'll go see your boss now." Yeah. Oh dear. Anyway. we then meet the person that they're referring to as the master. He has been there apparently since 1926. He's a, a human being. He is a writer and running that place is very demanding. He says, 
Mm. He's old, he's tired, and somebody else needs to take over. And that's kind of the whole ploy of this now, isn't it? It's that yeah. he wants the doctor to take over what he is doing. So this machine, the this um, big brain glass thingy, the master brain, the master brain. There we go. It can use the doctor for its purposes rather than this old writer dude. For the yeah, end, we, till the end of time, because the doctor is timeless. There we go. There we go. Um, whilst all this is going on, uh, the doctor is kind of wired into a, well, the, the the master is wired into a machine. They're trying to get the doctor to get involved as well. Jamie and Zoe escape to a library. Mm. White robots then capture Jamie and Zoe, and we're told it's a fair, it's a straight trade now. Um, it's their life for the doctors. Yeah. So the doctor has a decision to make, and whilst he's humming and ahhing about it. Jamie and Zoe are just squashed in a big, massive fuck-off book. Yeah. Yeah, it's an odd one. But amazingly, it makes sense given what we've seen before. Because, they yeah. literally, it, again, it's a physical manifestation of them being turned into fiction. Yep, exactly. Just getting smushed into the pages. Yes, um, totally. So that's, that's the end of part four, by the way, as well. We're going to go into the final episode, aren't we? It's amazing. It, it just shows that when you get a really good story that you that you want to talk about and, and you fly through it watching it, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground already, and it's been a it's been a great chat, you know, great thing to talk about, and really enjoyed it, whatever. And I look up and we're we're not, you know, we're hour and hour and fifteen in something like that. Mm, yeah, it really is amazing. <laughs> I, I never expected to like anything this old. As much as I have this series, okay. uh, this, this serial so far, and it's just, and it, it wasn't, it, it was pretty, you know, it's a kind of bias, really. But I thought, you know, I'll enjoy it because it's Doctor Who, and I enjoy mm-hmm. it. Uh, I'll, I'll like it regardless. But yeah, this one going in without any prior knowledge, uh, because sort of spoiling, spoiling my opinions for the end of the show, really. But at this point, at the end of part four, I'm blown away. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've loved it as well. I've loved it as well. Um, we get robots after the Doctor now, and he climbs to get away from them again, and escapes to the top of the castle. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's because uh, the, the Doctor says what we were all thinking when Jamie got away from that that little t- that little tin soldier, and said, "I've never seen a robot be able to climb." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, it, Jamie and Zoe have been willed by the Doctor to just think about themselves getting out the book, which means they can get out the book, and they meet him on top of the castle as well. But there's something not quite right. Mm, they've been altered with, haven't they? We're yeah. not talking like wonky face Jamie again. Old, old, you know, Hamish isn't back. It's different. No, they're stuck on a loop. They've only got set. They've only got set memories and and set phrases that can say again really clever just to signify that they are absolutely in the shit yes indeed they, they've effectively they've been turned into fiction at this point is i think that's the phrase the doctor says and he wants to get down into i, I suppose it's like a little control center with, with effectively a typewriter in it and the Doctor is going to drop into there. And because he's tweaked by this point that the stories are being written and can be altered and so on, the Doctor wants to get onto this typewriter where the master tapes are, as he refers to them, and help rewrite the story in the way that he thinks he could win 
or they could get away. So, of course, he, he needs the strength of Carcass to help him. And he appears and rips the lid off this thing so the Doctor can climb down into where this typewriter is, which I thought was good because we get to see a bit of Carcass actually being a superhero and not getting his ass kicked by a lady in a sparkly leotard who's only four foot ten. <laughs> yeah, Carcass actually uh, actually looks strong uh, at this point. But it's, it, again, it's, you know, it's a good use of characters they've already introduced and then Rapunzel comes back to you know, so the Doctor can climb down. And you know, again, just utilizing and, and bringing mm. back. Seeing Patrick Triton's face, can't you? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> when seeing Patrick yeah. Triton's face, like Rapunzel turns up and he's like, ah, there's old whiffy wig again with her smelly ponytail. <laughs> but I can use that to climb down. <laughs> you know, <it's laughs> but again, it's smart writing because the, they've established a, a world where these characters can, can pop up at a moment's notice as and when they they needed. Yes. And they use it to full effect. It's really smart. And then the doctor gets down there. He's, he's got the typewriter. He thinks he's in control, and realizes it's a trap because as soon as he starts typing stuff, he turn himself into fiction. Yeah. So yeah. it's again really playing around with this whole concept and these sort of abstracts that are, that they're trying to get their heads around. It it really is bloody clever. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the master convinces or writes anyway, that Zoe and Jamie now think the Doctor is a baddie. And they basically tempt him towards what looks like the TARDIS. The, the door opens, they call him over and say, Doctor, come on, the TARDIS is here. And the Doctor's, I suppose, being a bit dumb again, because the Doctor's there going, oh, okay, there's the TARDIS. How did it get here? And they go, oh, it doesn't matter. And he's like, yeah, you're right, it doesn't matter. Fair enough. So they all climb into the TARDIS, and it's a trap. The TARDIS falls down, it's a cardboard cutout, and the Doctor is in what looks like a glass case, I think. It's kind of restricted in some kind of Perspex box, potentially. Yeah, it was just a level up Zoe's, uh, Zoe's jar prison. Yes, yes. Um, the Doctor then it, it appears where the Master is, and the Doctor wills Zoe and Jamie... I'm getting a bit confused here now because the doctor just appears where the master is, and then they start this book battle kind of thing, don't they? Yeah, um, yeah, I really like the uh, the TARDIS exterior turning into uh, into cardboard. Effectively, I thought that was a really smart yeah. idea. Um, Jamie's sort of pantomime villain sneer as they walked away was pretty good uh, <laughs> as well. And yeah, it was uh, the doctor's trapped in a glass cage of emotion. Um, Anchorman reference for anybody over thirty listening. Uh, yeah, it, it weren't too bad. Um, it all got a bit weird when the controller, because that's what I start, started referring to the to the master as, because it's not the master as we know it. No, no. You know, in Doctor Who, so the the Doctor and the controller are sort of going into the controller's evil plans for for Earth, and you know, because the Doctor's not been cooperating, they've expanded the you know what they're going how they're going to have to approach it, and basically harvest Earth for. For their imagination, effectively. Yeah. And sort of run through yeah, and at one point they're talking about Earth being literally just empty completely for him to just go into. Yeah. So I'm not 100% sure on the exact way he was going to you know, fulfil his plan and what was going to happen. I just knew he was a bit of a bad deed. This is, this is where it kind of falls apart for me. Okay. Because... The, the the point all along has been the Doctor's got into this random dimension or void between worlds, whatever, 
and this malevolent force that plays with fiction has decided that they want the Doctor as the new controller. Mm-hmm. Fine. How the hell is this malevolent entity going to get into the dimensions? Yeah. Is it, never, that's never fully explained. And all it you know, this, this episode was 80, 17, 18 minutes long. All they'd have to say is, we're going to occupy your TARDIS, get back to your reality, and take over Earth because they've seen what the uh, what they've seen what Earthlings can do with their imagination because they had the controller there. Mm-hmm. It just needed weirdly for something so well paced. This needed a bit more padding out because the the motivations and everything else all just gets a little bit overlooked and a bit jumbled. Yeah, yeah, it kind of loses its way a touch on that front. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like you said, though, because I enjoyed this so much, it, it, it's a relatively minor criticism. Yeah. Um, that and the doctor comparing humans to sausages, just out of nowhere, <laughs> Patrick Charles just stood there and he just goes, "Sausages." Like what? Yeah. Like humans are a bit like sausages. They're all the same. You know, it's like, what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> It was so random and so silly. It was also a little bit random and silly, I think, when uh, both the Doctor and the Controller, the Master, whoever, they're writing to control the story now, and they're kind of battling each other with fiction. Yeah. So, Sarandi Bergerac gets summoned. Yeah, it's a funny one, this, because I, I like the concept of it. Yeah, yeah where it's they have to use their imaginations to conjure these beings into into life to then you know to, to try and one up the other and the doctor's trying to um trying to overload the master brain and the master brain's trying to protect itself when you when you think of it in those terms it's clever the execution isn't the best because it feels like two kids having an argument and one of them saying, yeah, well, you smell times infinity. And the other kid going, yeah, well, you smell times infinity plus one. Yeah. Because it goes yeah, from uh, uh, Serrano de Bergerac in a hilarious fake nose and uh, the musketeer D'Artagnan having a sword fight. Then the controller sends in Blackbeard. So the doctor summons Lancelot in full armour. And... Yeah, it was just a bit. It was a bit silly. It, 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 it was, it was a bit silly, yeah, yeah, but not in a way that made, not in a way that I disliked, and it, it didn't right. actually go. It actually it didn't go on for that long, and at least the sword fighting and whatnot gave us a bit of action. Oh, and the Doctor yeah. summoned Carcass to uh, destroy the soldier bot, uh, the soldier bots. Mm-hmm. So he got to be yeah. useful and uses Carcass, uses impossible weapon to uh, to defeat. <laughs> Why did that sound like a euphemism for a penis? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Carcass appeared, the, whipped his dick out and just slapped it right across all the robots and they shattered into oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so basically, basically the, the Doctor's winning this kind of battle of fictional characters. Uh, so the, the controller, the master, he orders the robot weapons to become destructor beams. And the Doctor is now just to be destroyed. It's kind of like he's given up on his plan. He's just going to kill the Doctor off now. Um, 
And Zoe and Jamie come up with the idea of hitting all the buttons they possibly can, flicking all the switches, walloping all the controls to try and overload the master brain. And it kind of works. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a rushed ending, but I think yeah. we've seen quite a few of those um, with, with Classic Who, so I'm not against it, especially as this ending flows into the next story. Um, but it was just a bit a bit of a cop-out again, you know. I'm going to press all the buttons. That'll work. Um, I like that they actually saved the controller. Yes, because he's they basically... Realized. I suppose that's something that we haven't really touched upon. He is being controlled by the master brain. Yeah. He's not actually a bad guy himself, is he? He's almost like a puppet being used by... Yeah. Well, that's why we found two different voices. Yes. It's yes. essentially the more the more human voice and then the master brain taking full control. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very interesting. The doctor explains that, you know, he's still human and it's a very doctor thing to do to save the person that was being controlled and trying to kill you five minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and the, but they, they take a big old gamble, um, saying that you know you can't kill fiction, so we're not losing anything, you know, with the, the characters that helped us. And so, but it's again big gamble saying that well, with the master brains machines failing, that should return us to reality or just send us into oblivion. Let's see what happens. <laughs> it is it is a completely <laughs> ludicrous gamble, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. And not really one that the Doctor would take mm-hmm. ever, I don't think. No, but no. the TARDIS comes back together, as you know, as, as it seems, and that's it. And all I've written at the end of there is what a bastard of a cliffhanger. Yeah, because it is literally the TARDIS comes back together, and then it, that's that's the end of the show. Yeah, we don't know if they're all right. We don't know where they are. We don't know where, but. It made me think: Is there a, a, a sixth, a sixth part missing? You know, have we got five of six? Whatever, you know, have I, have I read something wrong? But then it goes straight into the invasion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what a hook for the next week. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, you know, a bit of a ropey ending, bit silly, but quite enjoyable. You know, on a if you sit down to watch it, you're not going to be disappointed, really. No, um, definitely not. Definitely not. And they do literally state start of the invasion it worked so that was that cover yeah. straight away for us <laughs> yeah the gamble paid off brilliant yeah and they're on hooray, the, hooray for not being dead yeah <laughs> and they're on the dark side of the moon with a missile heading towards them but that's the beginning of the invasion that's for another time so a five-parter triton era jamie zoe lots of silliness going on what are your final thoughts dan I had a lot of fun with this. A lot of fun watching it. A lot of fun talking about it. Um, anything like this, where, like I said, I'll go back to my saying, the physical embodiment of abstract concepts. What a great idea. They gave themselves so much leeway, so much room to manoeuvre. A couple of really brilliant narrative points, like the emergency uh, emergency box that I think should be brought back. Mm-hmm. Um, and a potentially recurring villain with the master brain, because we never saw the master brain die. No, we don't true. know where it came. We don't know where it came from. We don't know how it came to be between worlds. How it controls everything around it. It the machinery thing could just be the Doctor and, and Jamie and Zoe's comprehension of what's going on. It could be their way of figuring it out. Mm. So what's to say the Master Brain couldn't come back? You know, in, in, with Whitaker's era and the Flux, 
we've seen the space between universes, the, the void. Yeah. Maybe one for the future. I could, it's something I could see Russell T Davis getting his hands on and 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 really, really running with and making brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I love this. I thought this was really good. It okay. It's a bit silly towards the end but I think it's earned itself enough credit to get away with that with how brilliant the previous four episodes are it's justified silliness yeah basically yeah it, it made it made it make sense you know, it's like mm-hmm. it's like we're both wrestling fans as we've said before you can see something that's absolutely ludicrous but generally if the narrative behind it is solid enough you don't care you're right that yeah very true yeah it's gonna it's gonna rank very highly towards my end of uh, you know my end of season wrap up I think. Um, oh totally, I, I'm, could... I'm mine. I, I was thinking that I was halfway through watching it and I was thinking to myself, if this carries on the way it is, because I've I've seen this before a couple of different times, but mm. not sat down to make notes on and probably break down and so on. I'm thinking I'm really enjoying this. If it carries on the way it is, this is going to be really high in our end in my end of season countdown anyway. And that's why I couldn't wait to sit down and record with, with you about this Dan because I was intrigued to hear what you had to say. Because there was moments of this I thought bloody oh, that could let it down, that could let it down. But I think it is a good story and so on. So yeah, I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. I think do you know what? It could be top three. I, I I'm leading that way at the moment. Yeah, but you know, we'll see how we go at the end. We've got, we've still got three episodes left of this season, so who knows? Mm, indeed, who knows? Indeed. Uh, I was going to ask what we're doing next week, but we don't really know at the moment, do we? Everything's kind of uh, up in the air. We do a little bit. Um, I'm sort of seventy-five, eighty percent sure that next week uh, we'll be looking at the Peter Capaldi episode pilot. Okay, right. Yeah. But, you know, can't subject to change and all that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so then, before we depart, Dan, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you and all the stuff you are involved in online, please? Oh, go on then. Uh, if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date on movies that are 25 years out of date. If you want to hear more of me talking about stuff, I'm on Unbooking the Territory, uh, where we're looking at the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, that's over at UTT Podcast. Uh, we have side projects, Unbooking the Tankatory, where we look at the life and times of legitimately the hardest man to ever live in WCW, Mr. David Tank Abbott. Uh, that's at UTT Tank and we have Unputting the Territory where we're looking at the only time a wrestling championship changed hands by legitimate sporting competition that's the Being the Elite Gator Golf Championship and I don't know how Rob talked me into doing it but it's fun so give it a listen (laughs) Uh, both of those projects are coming to an end very soon in the coming weeks Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for what's up next because we've got a couple of things in the works interesting interesting anything i am involved in you can find as always via the network that carries this show so that's sjp world media and well you've got more projects popping up on there very soon as well dan haven't you i mean as this is released i mean monday the date on monday is the 31st is it the 30th it is uh so a few days later after this so this released on the monday the the thursday which is the third um you have a new project that you're you're jumping on board with of our good friend matt lewis I have indeed, yeah. Going to be part of the uh, the crew over at the volley. Uh, that's coming back. Uh, essentially, a little bit of, sort of like uh, 
the old radio techers used to be. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, some sort of live stuff, uh, talking about football. We're going to be doing live football commentary, and we've got various ideas floating around for uh, uh, for you know topic based podcasty bits as well. So it's good dipping my toe into the water again with uh, with the live commentary stuff. Uh, we'll see how I do, but it's going to be great to have uh, an absolute pro in uh, in Matt Lewis guiding us through. Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, I enjoyed the stuff that was done on on Radio Techers in the past. Um, I, I'm over the moon that it's restarting and coming across to SJP World Media. That That's a big thing for me. Um, I, I love the fact that you're involved in it as well. So I can't wait to, uh, to well, join in, in the chat and join in maybe live every now and again with regards to covering certain games or certain discussions and so on. Um, well, so somebody somebody's got to uh, balance out the the Man United point of view from, well, from two Liverpool yeah. fans. This is the thing. As uh, we need to go careful, it's supposed to be a football show, not just a Liverpool show. You might need to remind Matt about that once or twice. <laughs> but you, you can find that. You, that, say anyway. that like, you say that like I will be any better than him. <laughs> uh, you can find that on Twitter anyway at the Voddy Show. That's at the Voddy Show or any of the SJP World Media social medias. You can find links to all of our shows there, which include obviously this show itself, Nitro Nights, looking at WCW week by week by week with our good friend Scottish Danny. We have Chain Wrestling Live on a Monday in the corner and RSH looking at. Uh, modern day WWE from well both sides of the pond I guess we have a uh, in the corner from this country RSH from the states looking at WWE week by week there um, we have the waiting room when we get round to recording some more of that Murder in Mind podcast as well restarted we're just going into season three with that one as well so loads going on but most importantly you can find and follow this show itself and that's on Facebook and Twitter and that's at the Doctor Who Pod at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who Pod and there we go i had a blast dan that was fantastic i really enjoyed looking at that i can't wait already to look at more patrick triton but we've always got to wait till next season though so oh yeah and let's not forget next season we are going maximum chaos yes but more on that in coming weeks indeed uh, uh it's been a blast my friend pleasure as always buddy and to everyone else as always thank you for listening you know, I was thinking about Matt Smith's doctor if he was hungover and the whole sick thing. Imagine if he just put his fez on and just... Ah, oh, threw up in his fez. Yeah. Yeah. A fezzer. Fezzer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not often you get me well done. Hey, there we go. Hello and welcome to, ah, oh, motherfucker, I nearly said Nitro Nights then, that's the wrong show, I'll do that again, <laughs> what a fucking Brilliant. knobhead. It's alright, last night recording with the one man's meat boys, I watched the wrong episode of uh, of what we were supposed to be covering and I had to watch, it was, thankfully it was only 20 minutes, but I had to delay the recording 20 minutes while I watched it and made notes while that's we were on the call. First time I've ever done that, I was pissed off. Ah. <sighs> We're so professional. Yeah. <laughs> I will start again. Okay. <laughs> Can you hear that? Is there a funny noise coming through your end?
Oh, for crying out loud. I was genuinely... I, I don't know why I leaned forward, because my headphones are obviously on my ears. So leaning forward gives me no, no advantage whatsoever. But I was like, hmm, let me listen. <laughs> I'm glad you were paying attention to that anyway. Well, my chair... Like I said, I've got this new podcast station thing that I've built, haven't I? And it's it's yeah. the business. I'm really happy with it. I'm really, really proud of what i've knocked up here out of bits of an old wardrobe and a broken desk and shit it's <laughs> it's all recycled material bits of a broken desk it's fucked right um, and then we went from two wardrobes down to one when we moved from one room to the other so i've got the outside of the wardrobe all screwed and nailed together and so on and then the knackered desk is screwed in the middle so it's solid as fuck and then nice. i've got the proper microphone set up now it's it, it, it's it's good man but the chair i've got for this now Mm-hmm. is an old i suppose office chair it's like a swivelly spinny sort of thing because it's so old i'm so lardy sometimes i move and it makes really fucking weird noises <laughs> i love that feeling you know but noises not like not like creaky chair noises i don't know what these noises are it's just it's so to the point where i turn around and look behind me because i'm like the twig it's the chair if it was me it'd just be screaming 